This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka, and I am not in Brooklyn. I'm not in a remote studio. I am in 85 Broad Street in Manhattan. I'm delighted to be here with Nick Khan. He is president and chief revenue officer of the WWE. That's pro wrestling for anyone who's not initiated, but you're all initiated. You all know what pro wrestling is. Welcome, Nick. Thank you very much for having me. Longtime listener. I would normally say first time caller, but obviously I'm not calling. So you are the first person I've interviewed face to face since March, early March of 2020. I'm delighted to have you here. Happy to be here. Happy to be in person with you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, on Saturday, a couple of days after this podcast comes out, is SummerSlam. This is one of your two big pro wrestling WWE events. It will be live. People will be in person. How would you watch it if you wanted to watch uh, SummerSlam and you weren't in Las Vegas? Uh, so in the United States, you'd watch it on Peacock. It is still available on traditional pay-per-view. The reason we made that decision with Peacock was because for certain rural areas where we have a fan base that may not have high-speed internet uh, we wanted to make sure that it's still available to them through the traditional means of ordering through cable, satellite, et cetera, but primarily through Peacock. So Peacock, the NBCU streaming service that we have not spent a lot of time talking about on, on this show and is considered to be sort of a, a slow starting service. It's Comcast service. And the reason I asked you about SummerSlam is because prior to this year, you would have watched a big SummerSlam WWE pay-per-view event on your own WWE network. Uh, and then years prior to that, you would have had to subscribe or pay a one-off fee, a bunch of money usually, right, to your local cable provider. Um, you started here a year ago. So I'm going to ask you about some history that you weren't here for, but you know well. Yes, sir. Um, WWE was for a long time considered one of the sort of pioneers in streaming. They figured out how to make this direct-to-fans service for, I think, since 2014. Correct. Um, and for a long time, everyone would say, oh, these guys figured it out way ahead of everybody else. They're, they're doing the Netflix strategy. They're doing the Disney strategy. And they're really before anybody else for the most part. And then at the beginning of this year, you guys said, we're not going to do that anymore. Actually, we're going to take this, take what used to be the WWE Network and fold it into Peacock. We're going to get paid a bunch of money for it. Um, and a lot of people, like myself, scratched their heads and said, what does that mean? So tell me why the WWE Network doesn't really exist anymore and why it's been sold to Peacock, which is a deal you did. Absolutely. So a couple things. Number one, thanks for knowing it so well uh, and appreciating the product. Um, what ultimately the, what ultimately caused the decision was the realization, which sound may sound like an obvious one, that we're not a tech company. So in 2014, we only had to be the second best in the world at OTT after Netflix, or if you slivered Hulu in there, we had to be the third best in the world. Now that the streaming wars, if you will, have begun, you see companies with market caps far greater than ours, some with $300 billion market caps, some Amazon with trillion dollar, almost $2 trillion market caps getting into the space. So we didn't think that it was going to be possible for us to compete technology-wise over the course of time. So it is still available, WWE Network, in much many other parts of the world, 
But in the United States, it made sense to partner up with somebody and to make that a little less of our emphasis as we try to sort of um, position ourselves or reposition ourselves as a media company and not a tech company. Yeah, or you, I, I guess well, I was reading one analyst saying you're, you're a content brand or a content studio for, for traditional networks and for streamers. But why is the tech relevant? You guys for years used ML, BAM, which Disney bought. Um, but it seems like most of the sort of basic tech you need to stream something is, is a commodity, it's available, lots of people have done it. Um, my take, not knowing it, Please. is that you guys never, either didn't, either never got to the audience you thought you were going to get. You thought you were going to get three to four million subscribers. I think you topped out at like 1.8. And or even if you had gotten that scale, the economics of it just weren't going to work without a bundle, without being part of a bundle. And that seems separate from tech. So is it audience or is it literally didn't have the capacity to make the thing you wanted to make? I think tech was the driver, but certainly as, as you would know or would imagine, usually these big pivots in business are reflective of a myriad of things. So it's not just one thing, not just the technology. We did see an opportunity, again, with NBCU through Peacock to go out and have our products seen by a larger audience. So let's talk SummerSlam this weekend, for example. Traditionally, as you said, if that was available on pay-per-view, let's say it was anywhere from $50 to $75. Limited audience to do that. If you had over a million buys, it was a very successful night. Keep in mind, of the $50 to $75, half or so mm -hmm. goes to the distributor, as, as we all know. So you're not really seeing the return on a smaller audience investing into your product. With WWE Network, I, I candidly don't know what the goal was in terms of subscribers when they launched it, because obviously I didn't work there at the time and I wasn't across the company at that time as an agent, which is what I used to do for a living before uh, I took this job. But what I can tell you is that once it became, hey, where does the consumer want to spend their money? ESPN+, Plus, Disney+, Plus, Netflix, Hulu, HBO Max, Peacock, you name it, DAZN, whatever it was, it sort of seemed like it was going to be far more competitive for that monthly dollar than it was in 2014. So to grow the audience and to get it exposed to a larger audience, we thought with Comcast in particular and yeah. NBCU that, hey, Peacock being available in the Xfinity homes, in the Comcast Hable homes for free, that those 25 million homes or so, that was one way to grow the audience. And of course, on the ad-supported tier at $4.99 a month, we could go to our customers and say, hey, it's half the price. Right. It used to be 10 bucks a month to watch WWE. So that's Correct. a better deal for your consumers. Yes. Better you, deal. And by the way, you get the EPL and you get the office and you get Modern Family and all these other things, again, for half the price. And the old model of wrestling used to be there'd be regional wrestling and, and local events and then national events. There'd be national events on TV eventually, broadcast and cable. And then we all sort of ladder up to the pay-per-view event that happened once a month and then a couple really big ones a couple times a year. Um, it seems like you guys still have that model, right? You're, there's still – in addition to the stuff that I can get on Peacock, I can also get stuff on Fox, and you're also on on regular NBC, right? On, on regular USA. Right, yes. on, on, on an NBCU network. So there's still a lot of people who are consuming your content without paying directly for it, and there's a smaller number that are going to pay, that are going to sign up for Peacock. And then what you've taken away is the pay-per-view element. You said there's a handful of people in rural Correct. America who are going to pay, but most people aren't paying you an additional sum for that. So do you come out ahead in this current model? We do. 
Uh, certainly, it, it worked for us financially. Because you're making most of your money licensing to Peacock, to NBCU, to Fox. That, that's correct. So the great majority of the media dollars are with those three deals that you just talked about. And then we also have a deal in India. We have a deal in the United Kingdom, both for you know good amounts, or at least we think they're for good amounts. Uh, but yes, it, it was sort of the same type of model of the weekly programming leads to the monthly pay-per-view the monthly pay-per-view leads to the quarterly big, big pay-per-view, and you'll get the in-ring results coming out, the storyline results coming out of that. And yes, again, it was a way for us to get to a broader audience to potentially see the product. So far, so good on that. So so the the cadence of the, the matches and leading up to the quarterly matches and the big yearly matches, that still is happening. Correct. And people seem happy enough with that? I think so. Keep, keep in mind, we have a passionate fan base out there. Yeah. So, and no one, including us, dares compare themselves to the NFL. But if you see things like the NFL draft and you see people booing their team's picks, if you have passionate people who are into something, you're often going to get a lot of their opinions on what you're doing. We encourage that. Yeah. We welcome that. It was tough for us during COVID when we went into a uh, non-fan environment or non-live fan environment because we had digital fans. It was tough because we couldn't get the audience reaction. So you had a million and a half people paying you 10 bucks a month. Give or take. Yeah. Give or take. Um, so just back to where I started. I mean, if, if, as everyone is trying to figure out how to go to direct to consumer, there's a conventional wisdom that, that you know, there's going to be a Netflix and a Disney and then name a couple other big streamers. Are we just looking at a world where 1.5 million people, give or take, giving you 10 bucks a month just doesn't – isn't big enough to be a standalone direct to consumer business? You know, it's tough for me to say sweeping across the board, yes or no on that. I knew for us it wasn't enough. So what we talked about was, again, even if you look at and, and you wouldn't have these numbers, we, we just got them last week. If you look at our pay-per-views, our pay-per-view money in the bank from two or three weeks ago in, uh, in Fort Worth, Texas, our viewership was up 20% over the 2019 money in the bank viewership. So remove the pandemic year. From an apples-to-apples apples comparison, our viewership, again, the audience has already grown in terms of who's watching our content. So, yeah, it seems to be working. Fans seem to be good with it. So you guys are better off going for so basically upfront payments, wide reach, and then hoping that that audience grows over time instead of asking your customers to pay you directly. Yes, I think it also allows us to test a few things with Peacock um, in terms of dates. So even SummerSlam, which, again, we, we've mentioned a couple times, that's this Saturday. Traditionally, we've gone on Sundays for pay-per-views. We believe on the sports calendar, there are certain days where there should be sports and there aren't sports. We believe this Saturday is one of those. So traditionally, we had not done that well in terms of box office in Las Vegas. If you think about the Sunday connotation, I'll speak for you in this one instance on our time together today. I'm sure never in your life has anyone ever said to you, let's go to Vegas and go crazy on a Sunday. No. Ever. If you look at Monday Night Raw, no one ever says, let's go to Vegas and go crazy on a Monday, right? This is a Friday and Saturday night town. And even if you look at SmackDown, which is on Fox on Fridays, few people say, let's get to Vegas by 3 p.m. Pacific so we can be in our seats for a 5 p.m. SmackDown. So we thought Saturday night would work for us in Las Vegas. We think the ticket sales are reflective of that. We have a big, big audience coming out on Saturday and a big gate to go along with it. And you keep referencing sports, and, and obviously wrestling is kind of a sport. It's kind of not. I've gotten up close and watched this. These guys are really getting hit with with metal chairs, et cetera. Um, they're real athletes. It's obviously not a sport. It's scripted. Um, does it matter 
to who does it who does it matter to when you call something when you call this a sport? Does it matter to your fans, to the performers, to your sponsors? Well, as you know, Vince McMahon came up with the term sports entertainment yeah. a couple of decades ago. So we sort of toggled between both. Uh, it's no different than when we look at the calendar of television events as to what not to go up against. It's not just hey, let's avoid Tom Brady and his return to New England on Sunday Night Football, which is an NBC property, as you know, it's also let's return, let's avoid things like the Grammys. Right. Right. We, we don't want to compete against that if we have a choice. If we need to in the fall or in the award intensive period starting in January, certainly we will. But our preference would be the only act that night. Yeah, it crossed, it crossed my mind because I was looking at analyst reports talking about your performance during the pandemic. And they were saying, well, you'd think the ratings would be better because there weren't other live sports. And are, are these substitute? If you can't watch a live soccer game or a live football game, are you, are you is is that scratch is that itch being scratched by watching wrestling? Maybe maybe not. I don't know what you think. Yeah, we we don't show a large crossover audience there, so it, it's a unique audience. We we show, you know, folks who like entertainment like our product. Folks folks who like certain sports like our product. So we sort of follow again what our consumers tend yeah. to think and tend to want. And you know, we think coming out of the pandemic and look, it was a heroic effort. Uh, by our talent, our superstars, if you will, by our crew and production to pull that off. We're happy that we pulled it off at, safely. Uh, at the same time, we're happy to certainly be out of it, like most other people are happy to be out of whatever circumstance they were in during the height of the pandemic. So you guys did live events right away. You didn't really stop, right? It's just the audience left. Correct. There wasn't one week where we didn't produce live television. So it was it was live wrestling without an audience. We saw we saw versions of this with other sports. See, I'm saying sports. Um, did you learn anything from that experience of what it's like to put on a show without fans, or is it just we don't ever want to do that again if we can avoid it? Certainly, I, I mean, none of us w would ever want to. Even if you look at the NBA's product in the bubble, uh, you had the Lakers, a premier team, yep. the premier team, if you will, with the premier player. Ratings were down, probably a lot of different reasons why they were down. I think one of the things as a consumer, when I would watch it, it sort of seemed like a scrimmage game, even though it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily bode well for anybody. I, I got over that right away. Did After you? the first couple of minutes, I'm like, oh, no, this is just great basketball. This yeah. is, and, and the teams were great. And they were, they were, they, and also it was the only thing on, right? There was totally. nothing else. I was very happy to have it. So I was thrilled. And please don't take what I'm saying the wrong way. Yeah. I was thrilled to have anything on TV after the Michael Jordan documentary. Mm -hmm. The multi-part one ended, and then ESPN smartly put on, I think it was the McGuire doc or, uh, you know, the Bruce Lee doc after They're that. running out of docs. Yes, exactly. Uh, they all rated uh, because, again, we had nothing. I was disappointed when Billions ended midseason because the episodes in the can were all that they had done. Mm -hmm. But at least that's coming back soon. We're going to take a quick break, and we're right back with Nick Khan. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline, because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And we're back. And then so you guys are back. You are up and running. Um, you know, when I booked this interview with you a month ago, 
was very excited to have you in the in 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 uh, in the studio, and we'll be doing more of these. But at the time, I felt much more optimistic about the stuff coming back, and this is still a ghostly office. Uh, what's your sense of of how ticket sales are faring now, and and what the Delta moment we're in right now is is affecting them? Yeah, by the way, very spacious office you have here, Vox. Very fancy, room. a lot of very nice. Yes, um, we I think we felt the same. It, it was okay. This is starting to become behind all of us. To now, hey, this is something we're all going to have to deal with again. So our box office, again, we came back on July 16th, Friday night in Houston, was a sellout. The next couple of nights were sellouts. All of our events since then have been done markedly better than they did in 2019, 2018, 2017 in those cities. So we still haven't seen it where people aren't coming. We have a big show at the Garden at MSG the night before the 20th anniversary of 9-11, so obviously on September 10th, which is a Friday. That's a SmackDown show. We're almost sold out there, but most of those tickets sold, you know, two to four weeks ago before Delta really got into, you know, the crux yeah. of the conversation, if you will. The two big uh, concert promoters, AEG and, and, and Live Nation, now have a VAX requirement. New York City has a VAX requirement, I assume, for for that show you're talking about at the Garden. Um, any, have you guys had any shows where the, the audience is required to be vaccinated? No. That's based on the cities we've been yeah. in and the venues we've been in. But with Madison Square Garden, whatever the policy is, and you're exactly right, that is their policy. You have to show vaccination or proof of vaccination to get in, which is the way it was for those Knicks playoff games yeah. at the end. It'll be the same way. Any sense of, of, of uh, how your crowd's going to react to that? We, we've not heard anything negative yeah. on it. I think it's a city-by-city city thing, but uh, we've not heard anything negative. Tell me, tell me about how you how you got to WWE. You, you mentioned you were at CAA. You you did deals on behalf of, of WWE with NBCU with Fox. Um, that's a very different skill set than than running a, running the, the organization. Is this something you wanted to do? Well, keep in mind, and I know you know him. There's only one person who runs WWE. I don't think he's going to listen. So I think it's fair <laughs> to say that that uh, you guys are doing different things. Vince McMahon is. I, I have interviewed Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon, and as I told you, it was terrifying. I understood, understood. Um, but Vince runs WWE. I'm one of the folks who mm -hmm. are there to help. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I was. Uh, I grew up primarily in Las Vegas. Uh, parents are immigrants. Uh, they came from Iran. Most Iranians, as you know, came in 79 or after. My parents came in the early 60s. So uh, I have one sister. Uh, she and I grew up in Vegas. We moved to Los Angeles for a few years, moved to Hawaii for a few years, back to Las Vegas. Sort of the immigrant dream, if you will. They were looking for the next opportunity. Uh, and a lot of their focus, uh, which certainly benefited my sister and myself, was on us. So our education, we went to public school. Hey, you got to get good grades. If you get good grades, you could sort of do anything you want. Uh, fortunately for my sister and I, our grades were, were okay or pretty decent. She makes TV as well now? She does. Yeah. Yes. She's Nanachka Khan, a co-creator of Young Rock, uh, also the co-creator of a show that lived on ABC for six years called Fresh Off the Boat. Mm -hmm. So she and I, um, if again, if we would do well on our grades, we could watch as much TV as we wanted uh, during the day, at night, whatever it was. So I remember once specifically in the third grade, my teacher said, hey, who watches you know an hour of TV a day? Bunch of people raise their hands. Who watches two hours? A few people raise their hands. I hadn't raised my hand. She's like, how much TV do you watch every day? I'm like, I think we watch like seven or eight hours a day. Uh, and lo and behold, she and I both end up uh, in the TV business. So uh, it was a fun childhood. So you, you end up at CAA doing licensing deals. Um, the pre Your predecessors in the job got pushed out maybe six months 
before you got hired. Was this a job you raised your hand for? Is this one physical man came to you? How do, and, and, and what do you have to do to prove that you are willing not to run WWE, but to be, to, to be the number two guy under Vince? Well, I think, look, it's, it's always important when you come into a new situation, and you may have experienced this here when you came over to Vox full-time. It's important to know how to be the new person, and the new person isn't necessarily saying the same things that the person said at the last job. So I was a lawyer for about seven years, became an agent in 06. I was at CA for almost 10 years or so. It was great. Loved working there, represented a lot of television talent, and then ultimately got into the rights business, uh, along with a gentleman named Alan Gold, who runs that group. So we represented the SEC, the Southeastern Conference, in their deal. We helped to sell the Tiger vs. Phil pay-per-view, if you remember that, mm -hmm. Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson from a few years ago. And then ultimately found ourselves with the opportunity to get into business with the WWE and to help Vince and company with the TV deals in the United States that started a few years ago. So because of that relationship and because we had some collective success together, ultimately Vince and I talked about this opportunity. I was 45 at the time. It felt like, hey, you know, I don't know that people make huge career pivots at 60, if you will. So it just felt right timing-wise. The CA guys were gracious uh, on me asking uh, sort of for their blessing and taking the job, and, and here I am. So prior – so I guess you're on the other side of the deal, right? You were, you were repping WWE, so you're still the seller here. Yes. Um, and obviously you have to be positive about the future of – rights for this kind of stuff you're making. That said, we're, we're having this back and forth now for years about sports, but all content in general. Is are the val is the value of this stuff going to keep going up and up and up, or eventually are the networks, the streamers, whomever going to say, we, we've reached a top. This it's no longer makes economic sense for us to pay for this stuff, and or we can get a lot of this stuff much cheaper. How are you thinking about how that landscape is going to evolve? I think that um, what you're seeing a little bit of, or what we may see a little bit of, is that the relative middle class of sports rights. So again, we're speaking relative terms here, that that may get squeezed a little bit. So I'm curious to see what happens with Major League Soccer's deal. You know, the NFL obviously came during the pandemic mm -hmm. and, you know, kicked ass in terms of what they were able to get. That's no surprise. The NBA is coming up in a couple of years, even with ratings a touch down. We think the NBA is going to be in great shape. You saw, and again, with the disclosure that I was part of the process on the Southeastern Conference, they got big numbers uh, for their package, which they deserve all of that and more. I'm curious to see what happens with the Big 12, especially with Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC. Curious to see what happens with the Pac-12. You know, do those sort of fall into the middle bucket now or do they stay top? Because we've seen the rights go up and up and up year after year after year. And then and the ratings were kind of constant. And for a long time, we were told, well, it's the, even, even if everything else is slowing down, sports is impervious to the drop we're seeing across the rest of the cable and TV universe. Now those have started to drop as well. And now the argument is, well, they're dropping, but it's still the only place you can reach these really big audiences. And that justifies it. And or, well, if you want to start a new streaming thing, you got to have this tentpole thing. But eventually, everyone will have launched whatever they're going to launch. If the tech guys are going to get in, they'll have gotten in. It seems like uh, maybe the Asia is the next sort of argument, like, oh, this will, be, this will work really well internationally. It does seem like eventually you can't keep arguing that this thing, which has less people watching in it than it did 10 years ago, is worth X amount more. I, I think you've seen it in primetime scripted television, if you will. So again, when you and I were kids and Archie Bunker did a 15 rating. Mm -hmm. And made significant amount of money at that time for Norman Lear and 
the studio and everybody behind it. Now you're seeing shows in primetime that do a one in the demo where significant dollars are paid for that. So one fifteenth, and again, the 15 million was the overall audience, but even less than one fifteenth of what the audience was 30 years ago, still commanding top dollar. So I'm not sure that you've seen a mechanism come across for advertisers yet that is as effective as television and put the streaming component in there on the ad-supported tiers. It feels like it's going to be around at a high level for a long time. And the other argument you hear, and I was talking with uh, uh, the guys from Men and Blazers about this, is that even the the smaller stuff with passionate audiences actually is 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 remains super relevant to the streamers because if Peacock is going to work, it's not because everyone's going to watch WWE. It's because a couple million people are going to come for that, and someone else is going to come for Premier League, and someone else is going to come for The Office. That's the that's the premise. You need a, a handful. Maybe that maybe they're not all anchor tenants, but they all bring an audience with them. Truly, and by the way, I, I listened to the podcast with Michael and, and Roger on it. Those guys are as across this stuff, in my opinion, in terms of knowing where it was, where it is, and where it'll head, as I'd like to think we might be. Um, so yeah, it's the smaller sports have made even more of an imprint because to get unique subscribers, you need something unique. And I think that's what a lot of these properties have to offer. Did you grow up watching wrestling? I did. Yeah. I did. I, I For you guys. Uh, Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Loved him. I was born in 74. So, But Iron Sheik was also huge in our household. So when you talk about people saying, hey, I didn't see anyone on TV who was sort of like yeah. us in an Iranian-American household, when he would come out and light people up, that was a big joy for everyone. So I remember house. the Iron Sheik because we're roughly the same age. Um, and that is not not what we would consider a culturally sensitive uh, portrayal these days. There's a lot of that in wrestling. Um, I think over the years it, it updates itself. But sure. um, I'm curious. So you, you saw, oh, we are so starved for, for any representation on television that we'll take the Iron Sheik um, doing pro wrestling. Yeah, it was also, look, without going too far into the weeds on it, coming out of the Iran hostage crisis. Yeah. In the late 70s, it was almost sort of tempered down to tell people that you were Persian or Iranian out of thoughts of fear. And again, we were young at the time. But it was something to be proud of where, hey, that person, he's yeah. like me. He speaks the language that's spoken in our home. It's just something to be proud of that you know certainly resonated with us. So I remember watching wrestling, and there's an age where you watch wrestling and you're not quite sure what you're watching. And then eventually you kind of wise up. I think most of the audience wises up. And this is pre-internet, right? This is three networks. There's not even any Fox on. Um, and your mind is blown when you go see Rocky Three, and there's Hulk Hogan, who you thought was like your guy in Minnesota, and it gets very confusing. Um, but you are now in a, and have been for a long time with a wised-up audience that's on the internet, that's on social media, that sees the wrestlers who are fighting in the ring, high-fiving and hugging on Instagram, um, and sort of strips that sort of backstage stuff well, it makes the backstage stuff evident from the from the get go, and I know you don't make the content. That's not your your forte. But how's your what's your sense of how the product has evolved with, as a, as the audience gets smarter and more sophisticated and more demanding? By the way, just a quick pause on that. Did you go to public school growing up? Mm -hmm. I, I have this unproven theory that anyone who went to public school in the eighties loved wrestling. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? It was it was huge. It was awesome. I mean, and then it goes in cycles too, right? For sure. We're on a, we're on an uppish cycle now. We think so. Yeah. And look, by the way, in the eighties, also as you remember, many of us didn't have cable mm -hmm. yet. 
So the fact that Vince and WWF at the time were so ahead of the game and did a Saturday syndicated show where after Saturday morning cartoons, if you remember, that's what you and I would watch on Saturday mornings, it went into WWE superstars and it was, wow, you got that sort of exposure to a product you hadn't seen really before outside of the Thunder Lips thing from Rocky III, as you referenced, and and similar things to that. Um, In terms of the update of the product, I, I feel one thing our creative thing team has done consistently is to be able to pivot the product with the times. So even if you look at the Attitude Era from the late 90s, of which I believe you covered. Um, yeah, I was not I was not deep in it, but I did write about it at the time. Yeah. Right. I think it's on your bio even. So yeah. clearly a interesting moment. I, I loved it. I would say a standout moment. I got to meet The Rock not. early on. Yeah, it's big. Yeah. It's a big deal. Um, I think our product's always reflective of the times. So if you look at the cross-cultural animosity of the 80s, Iron Sheik, Iranian versus Hulk Hogan, an American. Kamala, the Ugandan giant. So Nikolai Volkov yeah. would come in and sing the, nas- the Russian national anthem. That was at the height of the Soviet, what was the Soviet Union, United States, you know, battle. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. and Iran and Iran and Iraq and all of these things. So I think if you look at the late 90s, it was reflective of that era, which was cigars in the White House, the pervasiveness of cable news for the first time where you could follow something 24-7, if you will, the Jerry Springer-type television shows, which had not been seen before. And if you look at the product now, which is a family-friendly product, we think it's also reflective of the era that we're in now. So, so yeah. So, you're not going to have an Iron Sheik. You're not going to have Kamala. you got a giant. I'm curious. Uh, Donald Trump was, was closely affiliated with wrestling, did a bunch of stuff there. Uh, Linda McMahon, uh, Vince McMahon's wife, was in his cabinet the first go-around. Um, do you guys strain to sort of keep anything Trump and red and blue state divisiveness out of wrestling? Or do you go, no, that's that's great. The audience will love seeing a red state guy beat up a blue guy or vice versa. They, they might enjoy that, but we've intentionally kept it out. We think there's so many divisive things in the country right now, masks, shots, the whole experience, that if we could stay away from that and offer a place to sort of come where you don't have to think about those things. I was actually commenting Because I bet like an anti-masker would do great, right? As a villain or a heel or or as a hero, you tell me. I'm sure. I'm sure it would. I was texting a friend last night who uh, is a journalist also, and we were pleasantly surprised that ABC News was covering the Afghanistan situation with a hour-long special because it seems like even the news has just shifted to left versus right and Trump, anti-Trump, mm-hmm. whatever it is. So anything to get away from that, which is what our product is is part of, is, hey, here, here's a, an escape from reality for you. That's what we're going to do. Because you guys did have a woke character for a bit, right? There was a guy who was like environmentally sensitive, and I think he was a heel. That's a bad guy. Yep. Um, I'm gonna get. I won't even bother trying to remember his name. But I remember there was a point where you made a guy who was sort of like deliberately left liberal, environmentally conscious, and he was a villain. But I don't know if, what, what happened with that guy. Yeah, I, I remember the the storyline. It was before I got there full mm-hmm. time. But yes, he had an environmentally friendly belt on, yeah. which didn't have any gold. Because gold was being mined in places where you don't want to mine gold and all of those things. And I think it worked for a while and then we got out of the space. Um, okay. And I'm breaking for a second here. Oh, I'm just smiling thinking about that character. It's very funny. Um, 
and you guys do have competition. There's sometimes there is competition for WWE. Sometimes there isn't. When I was writing about it, there were Turner had something called the WCW. Now there's something called the AEW. Do you have a sense of, of who is watching AEW versus WWE? We well, look, we we had an earnings call a couple of weeks ago, um, and I referenced the recent recent Reed Hastings line about sleep is yeah. our competition, right? And I think you've referenced that in a couple of different locations as well. That's the challenge for us is how do you get people to tune into our product instead of just sitting there in their bed and texting all night or watching TikTok for free or doing nothing or listening to a podcast. Like or doing it all at the same time. Totally. Totally. They're they are probably not listening to this podcast while they're watching SummerSlam. We never know. You never well, know. By the way, maybe my sister will listen. That okay. would be one person who will be at SummerSlam. Yes. Um, but yes, that handful of people might do both. So it's always tricky. In essence – I personally, as an agent, as an executive, I never look at anybody as competition. I just focus on what I'm doing. But in the totality of circumstance, you have to look at everything as your competition without a specific focus on any one entity. So we hope the NFL continues to get great ratings. We hope the NBA continues to get great. What does it have to do with us? We just have to make sure our product is great. Um, requisite question are you going to run this company at some point? Will you ascend to CEO? Well, well look, I, I don't think Vince has any plans, nor in my opinion, should he, of stepping aside. So he's 75. He'll be 76 in a couple of weeks. He's healthy. As you know, he's strong. So maybe he goes another 50 years and you'll be asking me this question in 49 Summer years. Redstone line. And a similar question, which you will also dodge. Um, what's the chance <laughs> this is a, a, a remains a, a standalone company in, in the next year? Well, well, look, we're open for business on anything and everything, and even some of the business um, some of the business plans that we've announced recently, I think are different or unique to what the company has traditionally done. So we're open for business. If somebody calls, we'll listen, but we're not active. We're not out in the marketplace trying to change that structure. You know, if Reese Witherspoon's worth $900 million and doesn't own her own content and doesn't make a lot of money, Put a valuation on you guys. Listen, all, all hats off to her to command that price. Kevin Mayer and Tom Staggs are formidable executives, as you know. So clearly they're seeing something there. So what is it? It's, again, in a, a world, remove Disney and the vast treasure trove of intellectual property that they have. There aren't a lot of companies out there that have unique material that you can monetize further. So Reese's company was clearly seen that way. And to her credit, she got top dollar for it. Nick Khan, thanks for coming in. Thank we'll stay, you. We will keep watching you in the business. Maybe we'll check in on SummerSlam. Hey, thanks for checking us out and thanks for having me in. Really appreciate it. Thanks, sir. Thank you. Thanks again to Nick Khan. Broke the seal. We had a live podcast in person. Very exciting. Thanks to Srinivas for sitting in at a moment's notice to help the recording. Thanks to Jelani for editing and producing. Thanks to our advertisers who bring this show to you for free. And thanks again to you guys for listening and telling other people about Recode Media. We are back next week.